it's been helpful for me to kind of, you know, in retrospect, look back and say, okay, I can make sense of this and I can put together my professional narrative. But at the time, each of these decisions seemed like I was jumping off a cliff. Hey everyone, welcome to Connection Request, my show about career journeys. I'm Joel Lehman, thanks for being here. Today on the show, I'm sitting down with Casey Hall. He's the president of Lumberjack Social, which is a communications and social media consultancy firm with the mission of making social better for everyone. He's based in Minneapolis, just across the river from me, and he is a force in the world of social media, as well as a highly in-demand conference speaker, digital consultant, and a former attorney. He's also my former cubicle neighbor and a dear friend. We talk about a lot in this episode, including how Casey went from being an attorney to a social media expert, how he approached being laid off, what it was like starting his own consulting business, and his thoughts on the state of social media in 2023. Also, giant Jenga sets, Chip Danger, and one of the wildest stories he remembers from his time in corporate. Stick around for the coda where I share a few tips on how to battle imposter syndrome. Okay. Here's my conversation with Casey Hall. I have a consulting business, Lumberjack Social. And what I do is primarily work with very large companies on executive communications and social media strategy. So that can include anything from strategy and audits of a footprint for a large company. What I've been doing more of lately is working specifically with engineering executives. So oftentimes, very intelligent and wonderful engineering leaders who need some support with communications and social media uh, at large companies. That's what I do. live here in Minneapolis, came up through Thompson Reuters, my friend Joel, and started off as an attorney very briefly and a long path that brought me here. I'm super excited to have you on because you have taken some really big risks and twists and turns in your career. And at least from where I sit, they all seem to have paid off. Of course, you can correct the record. I want to get into all of that. But first, let me just say this instead of saving it for the end, which is I'm pumped you're here today because for years, many years, I have been privately benefiting from all of your amazing advice and wisdom and friendship and mentorship. You've just been amazing to me, and you're the first person that I called when I decided to go out on my own. You're the first person I called many times for many things. And everybody, I think, calls you for career advice and social media advice and all kinds of things. I hear that from a lot of people. I know I'm not exclusive in that category, but I think just generally both in the Minneapolis area and beyond, you're just somebody that people really look up to and respect. So I just want to find a way to to pull some of that out today for our listeners. And I just want to say thank you for being here and, and for making time for this conversation yeah, today. Yeah, certainly. And the feeling is obviously very mutual. Actually, the name of my company was Joel's Idea, if that gives you any indication of the integral nature of Joel's advice to me. I want to get into your career and your career journey, but I first want to just pick your brain on kind of the state of social media writ large in the year 2023. I've got you an expert here on the podcast today. And social, I think, whether it's career or otherwise, touches many, almost all aspects of our lives in some ways. I guess big picture, like where do you see us at? And from where I sit, Twitter is dying with a bunch of different clones in its place. 
TikTok is a new big kid on the block, although parts of our government want to kill it. I think AI is probably going to change everything. Facebook has fallen from grace and the metaverse seems like a flop. You have a mission for your company to make social media better for everyone. Indeed. So what's your take? Has it gotten better? And where are we in the year 2023? Yeah, it's gotten certainly, I think, more fractured. And I think like Twitter is a great example of something that was personally for me and professionally for companies I worked for and executives that I supported, something that I felt was every day must happen was really important and was really excited about it and used it quite extensively and still use it as a reader, but one of those areas where it's suddenly become like this kind of weird space where the rules are changing and some of the culture at Twitter obviously has drastically changed. And I just don't feel like it's quite the same space that it was, although there's lots of people who are still using it and still there. But I think that's symbolic of just some of the changes that social media has gone through because I felt like for a long time it was relatively stable. Instagram came along at one point and became a bigger thing, but for a long time it was just like Twitter and Facebook and Howard using those things, maybe not using Facebook or maybe using Facebook was the question. Now we had some flashes in the pan, like during the pandemic, like Clubhouse and social audio was going to be the next big thing. And that seemed to burn out pretty quickly. TikTok is a wonderful thing. And I probably spend more time than I even should on it, although I'm not active on it, but it doesn't necessarily work for a lot of companies that I work for. What I've done for myself and a lot of the companies that I advise is if we want to explore Reddit or other interesting places, I think that can be a cool thing, but being really specific about why we want to be there, Hmm. who's there, what we're trying to get out of it. And then focusing really what I think for, again, this is the segment that I work with on LinkedIn, because I feel like LinkedIn, it's interesting with LinkedIn because um, we were talking with LinkedIn reps at one point and like, oh, it'd be great if we had some new features or if we had get some more data out of LinkedIn and what's going on. And there was things that I was like hoping that LinkedIn would do differently. And in some ways they maintained their kind of conservative approach of, nope, this is what we do. And we don't really open it up for data. We don't open it up for searching. We don't open it up for all these kinds of things. And in the end, it seems like that may have been a great strategy because I think it maintained some trust that the other networks lost hmm. in making data available, making different APIs available and things, and just having the culture get turned upside down. So I think that in some ways that's allowed LinkedIn for me to maintain its status as like this trusted place that I don't feel generally ever creeped out by being on. And I know yeah. that people still use and things. So for me, even though the world is fractured and expanded, it's really tightened my focus. And I know that there's a lot of opportunities in some of those other spaces. And I do pursue those on an as needed basis. But for me, it's been because of the type of B2B large businesses that I work for, we really just do focus on LinkedIn. I don't know if that would be true for all the other spaces, but for me, it makes a lot of sense. I think the idea of focus is good for anybody when it comes to social media and technology in general. So you mentioned your career and the space that you work in. Let's dive into your career because like we said at the top, you, I think, have a really interesting path that started out. You said this yourself. You started out earlier in your career as a practicing lawyer. You came in and had this really interesting journey at Thomson Reuters that I've heard you talk about as you felt like you had four different careers throughout your time there. Yes, and you founded a social media company. So can we just go through some of the timeline and... I guess I'm particularly interested in each of those times that you made a big change. Like, how did you do that? How did you think about that? Yeah. You know, one thing that I think is interesting as I tell the story sometimes 
is that in retrospect, it all makes sense, right? And I've come up with this narrative that I'll explain a little bit more, but it's that through all of these different careers that I've had, I help people to communicate, really smart people to communicate in venues that they might not otherwise be familiar. Even before I was an attorney, I worked in a public policy and had political science degree, interned in BC, worked in the state Senate, worked in a law firm that did some legislative relations. Then as an attorney, and then Thomson Reuters doing a number of different things in social media, but really helping these people, whether it's in a legislative hearing in a courtroom or on LinkedIn to tell their story. It's been helpful for me to, in retrospect, look back and say, okay, I can make sense of this and I can put together my professional narrative. But at the time, each of these decisions seemed like I was jumping off a cliff yeah. <laughs> a little bit. When I was in political science, that made a lot of sense to me. And then I'd started working in a law firm and decided to go to law school. So that was a natural progression. Loved law school, actually. Did not love practicing law. Hmm. But after three years, I mean, working at a law firm for five years and going to law school for three years, to after a fairly short time say, you know what? I do not love this. I'm getting like stress headaches. I want to see my my kid who was five years old at Simon Oliver more often than I was going to be able to as a practicing attorney. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I'm going to try something different. Went to Thomson Reuters, which was still related. I was still using my legal knowledge, particularly at first when I went there and enjoyed that job. But I was like interested in technology calendar, something else. And this was uh, Twitter was pretty much brand new at that point. And I convinced somebody that our flagship product should be active on Twitter which was not necessarily an easy sell. And I remember our first tweets that we had to send out had to literally be reviewed by three or four different attorneys before we could send them out. And then I know for a while, I just rode the wave of corporate social media as that became a bigger thing. That little side project that I had just became a bigger and bigger part of my day-to-day -day life to where I was like, all right, I need to go learn some more about digital marketing. And I moved to another part of the company that was really focused on digital marketing. Then went into the main primary legal marketing space and then into communications. And each of those steps along the way felt like, all right, I'm gonna try this. And one of the things that I think is interesting, and I'd be interested to hear your take on this as well, Jules, I never thought of myself as a person who would enjoy or certainly not thrive at a large mm. global company. Just not really my my background or kind of what I where I thought I'd fit in the in the professional life as I was moving forward. But I'll say that like being at a company like that, that had this global footprint to a lot of interesting things really facilitated this ability to have a completely different career yeah. while still at the same company and have those experiences that I had be valuable. So the legal background and having a law degree, even though I wasn't practicing because we were selling legal insights and products and things was really valuable. And then that even carried forward to starting my own business. I was, um, yeah, I think a great example after I find out, found out that I was going to be separated from Thomson Reuters was the ability to set up a website, social media presence, and LLC all in an afternoon. So that was the culmination of all those skills coming together was being able to create Lumberjack Social in that way. And obviously that really felt the leap when I decided, okay, I'm yeah. not going to have a job anymore. I'm going to work for myself. I'm going to consult. And I did have the advantage of having having a little bit of runway from the 10 years that I was at Thomson Reuters, but was, that was a big leap and I was really excited about it. And in the end, as a part of me, I was like, I should have done this sooner because this is a wonderful thing. But I think I really needed the time for networking, for learning skills, for getting out on the speaker circuit while I was at a large company to really be able to hit the ground running as a consultant and working for myself. 
And now it's been wonderful and I hope to never go back. It feels like all the pieces fell into place, but I think that for me, there was probably, you know, if I look at all of the past that didn't work out, there was a lot of side projects that I took on that didn't turn into a career. But yeah, uh, so I only look at that path that I actually ended up taking. And it seems like a very sensible one, but at the time it certainly felt like I was just thinking my way along for the next right thing. To echo your thoughts about working in a large company, I totally agree where, you know, I, I think there are always trade-offs and pluses and minuses about any place you work probably. But one thing I definitely benefited from is something I've heard you talk a lot about, which is you have this unique and rare opportunity when you're at a large company where like, You've always got to get done your day job, but then oftentimes there are opportunities for you to join other groups or to help somebody out with a project or to do all sorts of kind of stretch opportunities that maybe you can then eventually leverage either that relationship or that portfolio or whatever into actually making what started as a side project into your full-time thing. Will you just talk a little bit more about that? Was that super intentional or planned or was a lot of your career just saying yes to things and right time, right place? I think it was being open to doing those things. And one of the things that I think sometimes made work harder for me, but I think in the end was a great thing is I've never been very good at swim lanes or like, hey, that's not my, mm. like, that's not my job. Like that's out of scope. And that led me down like, some challenging paths. Like I remember when I was trying to buy a new software for social media management at Thompson Reuters, which I'd never like managed large software purchase and all the different things, all the cost center things that came along with that. And just, there was really no, one, I don't want to say there was no one else to do it. I worked with sourcing. They're like, nope, you can just handle that yourself. It's not over the whatever dollar threshold. And that led to some like dark nights of, oh my God, what have what I gotten myself into? So there was, there it, not to say that it was always easy and that like going out of my swim lane all the time was a, always a great experience. But I think for me, like that attitude of, oh, this is interesting. I'll try to do this unless somebody tells me not to, which that happens sometimes too. Yeah. But even just something that I've thought about in that vein, and I still do this a lot, is I sign off emails a lot with, let me know if there's ever anything else I can do for you. And not often, but every once in a while, like, hey, actually, if you like have any thoughts on this, it would be great. Letting people know that you're open to doing those things, I think was the more important part and being open to them. And just the people that you meet when you do those things create this upswing of opportunities, even if it's not intentional, it's positioning yourself in a way that, yeah, I'm somebody who's willing to jump on and look at our digital website thing. Look at our internal podcast strategy or whatever the random thing might be that somebody asks about, even if it turns out to be a dead end. Yeah. Being open to those things that I think more important than necessarily being good at them. This is something, another thing that I think you and I have talked about in the past is I like to think of myself as knowledgeable in these areas and skilled in these areas. But I think the bigger thing is just being someone who I like to work with people and I like to cooperate mm. and I like to collaborate. And I generally enjoy working with most people. And I think that has been probably in some ways more important than any special skill set because those skills you can go and figure out, right? I need to know a little bit about ICO or I need to know a little bit about something else. And those things are, you know, often complicated but things you can get into, but it's the willingness to work with people and willingness to learn things and just be somebody that people like to work with. Yeah. Actually, probably the bigger factor in all those things working out than anything else. 
I think that's such an important point. It, you're right. I mean, it, it's something that I've certainly felt in my own career. And I'll say too, both being your friend and a big fan of yours, you're absolutely an easy person to work with. And also, I think so many people do view you as such an expert in the spaces that you operate in because you are, right? I guess you're a little bit of a both and situation in some ways where a lot of times maybe you get some of those specific knowledge or expertise on the fly, but over time, then you do become the person. I guess one thing, something I'm trying to find balance with on this show is, especially with people who I know well like you, is I want to make sure we not only talk about high points in people's career journeys, but also try to uncover some of the low points because I think we can all learn just as much, if not more, from those. And the truth is that we all have those points. And you're also just one of the most like emotionally intelligent and aware people I know. I'm just wondering, can you think of any points throughout your career that maybe felt particularly tough or didn't go the way you had hoped or yeah, you thought one path was leading one way and it didn't. Yeah. You know, kind of two specific ones I'll just touch on and then we can follow up if you have any questions about them. But when I was, before I went to law school and actually one of the things that prompted me to go to law school, oddly, was when I was working at this law firm, we did a legislative relations kind of lobbying work and they were looking for someone to manage this group that did utility lobbying. And I've been doing research in that area and I've been supporting that area. And I thought that I was going to be a strong internal candidate for taking over this, this role after someone else had left. And maybe I was overconfident and didn't put enough into it, but they ended up hiring another person who was maybe better connected to some of the partners at the firm, I'll just say. And uh, they turned out to be excellent at it and way better than I would have been. So I think that was the real reason, not the fact that they had those connections. But I remember thinking at the time, oh, this is frustrating. I don't have the attorney connections, these other things that I'd like to have. And I was really disappointed that I didn't get this job. And at the time I was working, doing some kind of more admin work at the law firm and also working in a restaurant, attending bar a couple nights a week. And my older son, Oliver, was like one or two years old at the time. And I was really disappointed because I had seen this job as, okay, this is like more of a career level job than the admin work and this side hustle as a bartender that I had. And I was pretty down about it and then decided that, you know what? <laughs> and this is, I feel a little bit embarrassed about this, but I thought that I want to provide my son with the opportunities that maybe I didn't get because my family wasn't very connected or anything like that. I want to have a great career so I can support Oliver. Now I want to go to law school. And so that was a difficult moment when I didn't get that thing and felt like, oh, what am I going to do? But in the end, it was like, okay, like, how can I better position myself to do something better? So hmm. that ended up leading to law school. The second one that was fairly difficult was after being at Thomson Reuters for you know, more than 10 years, 11, 12 years, whatever I was there for, being laid off. And I'd been there for really the vast majority of my professional career. And it wasn't too big of a surprise. I knew that there was big changes and reorganizations coming through the company. But it was a moment of feel like I've done my job and I realized that this intellectually realized that this isn't necessarily a reflection on my skills or abilities or anything, which was almost even more frustrating in some ways. It had been like, okay, yeah, I, I guess I should have stepped up in some other areas or I was in over my head here. But it was all just, in, in my opinion anyway, it was all just numbers because there was a lot of different financial things that were going on with the company restructure. And when they pushed that folder across the table, it was a really tough moment to accept that, that was going to change. 
And so even though I had some ideas and plans, like that was a particularly a tough moment, I think for lots of people, yeah, the same. So yeah, I guess both of those professionally were things where either I thought I was doing well, or I thought I had a great chance at something. And then it just didn't pan out. And some of those were because of me, other things were just because of the nature of corporate life. I like to think that both those things, not a wake up call, but served as an opportunity for me to be like, okay, like, what do I really want to be doing with my time? And yeah. vaulted you to to your next chapter. Yeah, those exactly. Didn't exactly. Sometimes those those challenges end up uh, staffing me out of my complacency in ways that are probably um, painful, but but helpful. So I mean, those yeah. are I mean difficult stories that had a really nice ending. But certainly along the way, there's been lots of day to day frustrations. And as talking about that sourcing thing, that was definitely yeah. a, a dark couple of weeks when I was trying to figure out how to make that all happen. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I I really appreciate you being like just open about sharing about each of those events. Like I said, cause I think oftentimes whether it's you or somebody else who from the outside and you are like, seems really successful and like they've gotten all these things. I think we can forget about maybe the things we talk about less openly of the times where something didn't go wrong or you didn't get the job or whatever. So I, yeah. I appreciate that. And then just to zoom in on the layoff thing, you know, you, you and I have both worked together and I was there with you that day that you got that news. Yeah. And yeah, I, I like I share that belief with you, too, that in your situation and in 96 percent of those kinds of things that I've seen, it just has like nothing or virtually nothing to do with you as a human being and your performance. And it isn't reflection that that's how I feel. And obviously there's lots of differences. Yeah, I certainly agree. But I guess like one thing about you, especially compared to sort of other people I know is like you said earlier in the conversation, you like went home that day and started an LLC and we're just like, okay, I'm like, I'm just like doing it. And I guess my question to you is what advice do you have for people? Because I think everyone's going to take it in some different way. And I think no matter what, there is a set of emotions that you just have to deal with. So what what can we all learn from you? And what is your advice when that does happen to somebody? Yeah, like, I don't know if this works for everybody else, but my, and at the time when I started Lumberjack Social and did all those things in, in, in a day, I didn't, I wasn't as optimistic as I wanted to be that it would actually work. And I figured, you know, worst case scenario, I go and get a job again, which I thought wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But for me, it was like, I need to do something. I need to take some sort of yeah. action here. Otherwise, it's really easy for me to throw my own little pity party and get angry about things and be frustrated by the fact that, hey, I think I was doing a good job and got like thousands of other people laid off for no reason. Not no reason, but financial reasons. And so it was just like, it gave me something, a way to process and channel what I was feeling into something. And if it would have never turned into anything, it still would have been, I think, for me, a very healthy and helpful thing to do on that day when I found out. Yeah. And then it kept me busy for weeks and then months and then now years and now <laughs> financially successful as well. But, and so to, to show the extreme of that, as you know, I was getting this idea for like, okay, I'm gonna start this, you know, um, this consulting business, Lumberjack Social. I was like, all right, I need to, so after I created the LLC and gone to the bank and you know, done all those things and we had the website set up, I was like, I need merch. And so that's when I created the giant two by four Jenga set 
which I still have. And I was like, this will be great. Then I can go give this out as gifts of merch. And I realized that like a giant two by four Jenga set weighs about 800 pounds. It would be an impossible piece of merch. <laughs> by the end of that afternoon, I was like outside with this saw, uh, like creating these things, which I mean, was not... I got a set too, by the way. I have, yeah. I still have some. Excellent. In the end, like that was not a helpful thing, but that was the, I mean, that's kind of the, there was things that I did that were just to have occupy, something occupy yeah. my mind and feel like I had something to do. Yeah. At that moment. And not that works for everyone. I'm sure that for some people, they probably don't have that same inclination to giant Jenga sets, make giant Jenga sets to avoid the self pity. Maybe some people are like, okay, this is more yeah. even headed about it. But I knew for me, I had to do something. And even if it ended up not being a productive thing or not something that turned out into being something helpful to do in the end, it, it allowed me some action to process it and to not be alone in my thoughts. Also, I talked to a lot of close friends. A lot of people were in the same boat. And so that was, I don't want to say helpful because I feel bad that there was a lot of people who were laid off, but it was helpful to talk to a lot of friends. I actually did do a number of job interviews, even though I knew for myself that what I really wanted mm. to do was do my own thing. And those were really helpful in that I went in being like, I don't really want this job. I want to go and do my own thing, but let's have them talk me out of it and tell me how wonderful this job would be, yeah. which is an attitude that I don't think I've ever had walking into a job interview before. And it turns out to be, I think, a really good attitude to have walking into a job interview. So I, I, I did that. I did the post-separation training offerings that they had and really just tried to keep myself busy in that way. But then the other thing, once I realized, all right, I might start this consulting business. I'm going to do something else. I did what I called my radical sabbatical. And I was like, I'm not going to have an opportunity like this maybe ever again. I had not... I don't think I'd ever taken like a two week vacation from yeah. Reuters the entire time that I was there. And even if I took a one week vacation, and this is my own fault, but I was still checking my emails, checking chat, checking everything pretty regularly. And the idea that I wasn't just on vacation, but I actually had no professional responsibilities for a time. And again, facilitated by having some runway for that, but I had radical sabbatical, I called it, and I'd take the dogs down to the river spent some time doing projects, spent some time doing nothing, visited family, went and met with tons of people for coffee and chat and yeah. things. And that was really a wonderful gift to have that time. Because even now, my, my time is a lot more flexible, but I never really have weeks where it's, okay, I get to just spend some time doing yeah. stuff, hanging out with family, hanging out with dogs. And so I tried my best to appreciate that for kind of the gifts that it was. Makes sense. I think you did it right. And by all accounts, it seems like the plan you put in place is working pretty well, which leads me to what is it like running your own shop? I was reading your the post that you wrote the day you left Thomson Reuters and yeah. you used the quote, an outlandish dream of being your own boss and running a consultancy like this. Does it still feel so outlandish? Yeah, it doesn't feel outlandish because it's it's been working, but I think it did feel outlandish and I was like, all right, is this really possible? Can I actually just go and work for myself and make this kind of work and happen? And I know when I started my business, I really didn't know. I didn't know anything about business. I knew digital marketing, communications, a little bit of legal stuff, but I didn't know anything about running a business. And my, one of my first clients was a, from a connection that I had a friend who had some smaller projects for me. 
At this point, I didn't say, do I want to start a natural agency and have employees or do I want to be a solo consultant? Still very much figuring all that out. Yeah. And was really happy when I got this first gig. I was like, oh, this is actually a possible thing working for this smaller British um, cybersecurity tech company, just doing some random marketing things. And I remember after supporting them for about six weeks and thinking, hey, we had an agreement about how much I, how many hours I was going to work and how much you're going to pay me. And email the person who was my contact. Like, hey, when does the money show up? And they're like, you have to send us an invoice. Like, that's how <laughs> these things work. Then I got QuickBooks and figured all those things out. But the fact that being able to go into it and really not having any idea what I wanted or what I was doing in retrospect does seem very outlandish. But also I had, I had some confidence in the fact that I knew really smart people, that I had this really great support network. And I would go and talk to people and I would pay attention. Like, all right, every time I talk to somebody, they ask me, why did you do this? Or why don't you do this? And I was like, oh, that's something I need to have an answer for at least, or have to consider. So I knew that I didn't know enough to actually do it at that point, but also had some confidence that these things are things that you can sort out and figure out and make work. And my business has really changed and it's only been four or five years now, but really changed over time to being, sometimes it was a lot of kind of separate projects where it would kick off and I'd have six weeks to, to work on a strategy for somebody. So now I have a couple of primary clients that I do most of my work for, and then do some other things on the side. And that sort of seems to pendulum back and forth. And there's times when I really like having a stable set of large clients yeah. versus other times when it's like, you know, I'd really like to have a little bit more flexibility. So I'm going to try to go into this sort of episodic project work. But the great thing for me is I get to figure it out, right? And I get yeah. to do it. One of the things for all the things I love working at a big company, particularly being in communications, which is sometimes maybe made this more challenging is other stuff I wanted to do. I want to go speak at conferences. I wanted to be a guest on a podcast, for example, and realizing that for very good reasons, like if you work in a big company, you can't just go and do whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, you can't just go and, go and write an article. You can't create some fun merch, or whatever, whatever those things might be. And, and there's good reasons for that. And being in communications, like obviously we're enforces that oftentimes, Yeah. but the kind of excitement of like, all right, this is mine. This is my thing. If I want it to be lumberjack, social, digital marketing and dog walking, like, I, you know, yeah, you could do that. I, I could do that. Yeah. And I think that flexibility has been really helpful for me for now pretty small portion of what I do is really the same sort of social media stuff I started doing. Now what I do is a lot more speech writing and straight up executive communications, which wasn't an area where I ever thought this business was going to go. Yeah. But I think it was a little bit pandemic when executives were trying to do things. I think it's some of my background as a corporate kind of professional person that has allowed me to get some FaceTime with executives that's helped me to position myself in that way. And feeling like it's okay if in two years I'm doing SEO reviews or something. And that's something that has made me excited. It's really cool being in charge of what I want to do, even if it's, even if I don't always enjoy it, but usually I do. I think that has been my favorite part. If that was anything like the question you originally asked. Definitely was. My guess is AI chat bot consultant. That's my guess for the next chapter. Yeah. Um, I thought of you last week, as I often do, because I was having a conversation with a mentee of mine, and he was talking about how he's really trying to figure out in his particular role, he got some feedback from a boss or maybe even a boss's boss about how like you can't just do the thing. You have to, you have to like tell people that you did the thing promoting yourself. Yeah. And 
something that you told me like eight years ago that I still think about all the time. You told me that you once had a boss and I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. You once had a boss who told you, I think that he spent 50% of his time doing the work and 50% of his time talking about the work. First of all, is that true or do I have it off? And then second of all, what do you think? One clarification, generally true. I don't want to say that he spent 50% of his time doing the work and 50% of his time talking about the work, but he recommended that I spent 50% of my time doing the work and 50% of my time talking about the work, which is maybe so even that's even that's even wilder because like he yeah. was, like he was a manager. And I think like yeah. part of I don't I think at that time you weren't a manager or maybe you were. No, like, I don't think so. It's that's I think even crazier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, it felt very crazy to me, honestly, at the time that I was like, why don't you want me to just be heads down, getting as much done as I yeah. possibly can? I don't think that this was his advice for this is what's great for my team. I think that this was his advice. of This is what's good for you. It was professional advice rather than uh, yeah. management direction. And honestly, it was not something that I had been very comfortable with. And I think I've gotten more comfortable with it just as doing things. But I do think, and I don't know if 50-50 is the right split, but the ability to explain your value and letting people know what you do and yeah. even just reminding people that you do do this thing, obviously when you're working for yourself, but even when you're working inside of a large corporate organization, figuring out what's the, what's my narrative here? What's the story? How do I talk about what do I, what I do? How do I talk about the value that I bring? There was a, you probably, you'll probably remember this statistic. I, at one point in the legal marketing team, I had taken over one of our marketing blogs and changed the format a little bit from being product focused to mm. being subject matter expert focused. And not surprisingly, being, this wasn't like any sort of genius on my end. It was just a change that I thought made sense. And we saw, I think it was a 240 some percent increase in page views over fairly short period of time. And like, that was like a statistic that I found on my wall for a long time. Cause it was just yeah. like, what was really easy to understand. Yeah. It wasn't the thing that I was the most proudest of, the most proud of, or the thing that had taken me the most energy or work, but it was something that people could see and be like, oh, that's great work. It's very understandable. Yeah. Wow. And so I think that we have to look for those, obviously doing great work is its own reward in many ways, but all right, what are those things that I can hang my hat on to show off about and do it in a way that's helpful and uplifting and, and doing other things rather than just being self-congratulatory? That was obviously a big, obviously a big boom for the business was like that, but it was a helpful thing in my small part of what my goals were. I've had other experiences and I think you've had these two where you do all this work and then there's like maybe this one weird side project you did one day that like you didn't even really think about. And somehow that side crud, like that weird one thing that you did that one day is what gets you like all the, this huge recognition yeah. or this thing. So what about all the stuff that I do all the yeah. time? And so one of the things I took away from spending 50% of your time was starting to keep a little bit of a professional journal. Oh, here's somebody, here's a nice thank you I got from an SVP or here's some numbers this month that were really extraordinary and keeping those, keeping a list of those things so that like when it did come up, when it was time to talk about it, not just necessarily in a review session, which is a great place for it. When, you know, if you are actually getting out there and talking about things and need to talk about some accomplishments that so you have a ready list of those. Cause I think for a lot of us, we do have a lot of impressive accomplishments, Yeah, but making sure that we can tell that narrative and that's ends up leading into what I do, 
when I work with people on LinkedIn, executives as well, but more so people who are either looking to advance their career or find a new career. I work with those folks sometimes on LinkedIn. That's the kind of advice I'm like, all right, this is the place where you actually want to talk about those things. So I'm not sure if 50-50 split makes sense for everyone, but it was definitely an adjustment closer to 50-50 than I needed to make. So I don't think I was really spending any time talking about what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah. I probably think about that like once a month and I still go back and forth on, I guess what the philosophy is for me, but I do, it always makes me think. And I, I think most people, especially if you're a proud, humble Midwesterner like ourselves, like for most people, probably you need to be doing more than you are doing. And it's, it's just a part of being in professional spaces, isn't it? It doesn't need to be braggy and arrogant and all that, but it is like an important part of how you show up in the world. Yeah. And it opens doors, right? And yeah. you get invited to do more things because people know that you did, did something well. And I think along those same lines, trying to highlight the wonderful work of colleagues who start their own thing and create an awesome podcast, and, uh, <laughs> all those kinds of things are, are important as well. I have asked the massive listenership of Connection Request for questions that I should ask you, because a lot of people, like I said earlier, follow you for advice, listen to every word you say. So the first question is from Daniel Callahan. You've probably worked with him long ago at Thompson Reuters. He's based in the UK. And he asked, he said, how'd you get to be so cool? (laughs) Thank you, Daniel. I don't know that I've ever been accused of being cool. Now you have. Okay. But I do, I don't know. Uh, I try to enjoy my work, enjoy the people that I work with. I think working in a digital space is fun and exciting. Yeah. We get to be on the leading and leading edge of some things sometimes. Surrounding myself with cool people, I guess, is the easiest answer to that. And also, like, you know, more recently, definitely uh, midlife crisis stuff, you know, bought a guitar and motorcycle and tattoos. Those all? Yeah. I think those might, cool. those might count against me, but I enjoy them. Another question from the audience, Carla Mangado, who's still at LSEG. You may remember her from Tops Reuters, based in Spain. By the way, she is Connection Request number one fan. So shout out to you, Carla. You're the best. Excellent. She asked a really interesting question. She said, what does, in quotes, being bold in social media mean in 2023? And I'll just add, I really like that question because I think a lot of us got into this space because it was new and it was fresh and it was exciting and it was different. And sometimes it doesn't always feel that way anymore. So how do you be bold in 2023 in social, Casey Hall? That's a great question. That, yeah, I saw that come up on Twitter when you, when you had shared that. I think that for, and this isn't necessarily 2023, but I think that for some companies, they're able to actually really get out there, Wendy's or something like that, and be different and be shocking. There's much less appetite for that kind of being bold in the areas where I work, which is primarily with executives of large B2B technology companies. But I think that, and so this is going to be a narrow answer based on that kind of specific work that I do, is for those professional folks, those leaders and those senior executives to make themselves a little bit more available, to talk about what's going on with them, maybe talk about a challenge and talk about what their professional kind of journey has been like. And let people get to know them a little bit and to be open and authentic and open to meeting people and open to new experiences. Coming from communications, came into communications and marketing first, there was always this impulse to be like, all right, how controlled can this message be? And being willing to maybe 
be a little bit more personal and to let people in a little bit more. I think that in the areas that I work, that is maybe what being bold looks like. But I think that being bigger and splashier has been done forever. So I don't know that there's like, all right, we're make the most exciting new thing. But maybe exploring some of the new spaces if they seem unfamiliar to you. Getting on Clubhouse when it was hot, even though that didn't work. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know that I have a great answer for being bold because I think it's so many agencies who can do that in ways that are much louder and brighter and shinier than I ever can take care of that space. I think that for me, it's like, all right, how do I enable social media to be useful and make some connections? And a lot of time that mm. just means like, all right, we're not looking to have a million followers for this person. We're looking for them to have a meaningful presence that yeah. is helpful and, and that they like and feels reflects who they are and isn't just this rinse and repeat communications produced presence. I think that's a great answer for a really good question. Thank you, Carla. And just moments ago, while we've been chatting, got a text from our old pal, Franklin, uh, one third of the dream corporate social media team at Tom's Writers for a certain time. And he said, sort of like going back earlier in your career, what was it like, quote unquote, going corporate? So in, in some ways, you had been in a law firm, so you were in professional settings, but I also think there's like a whole different can of worms. So what, what was it like and was it a hard adjustment? Yeah, it was. And when I started at Thompson Reuters, I was this like research attorney who had a very narrow view of what actually Thompson West when I was hired and then huh. very shortly thereafter, Thompson Reuters did. And to be honest, I didn't even understand exactly what that meant, that I was now part of Thompson Reuters, that there was all these other different business units. And I was yeah. kind of doing my one thing and it felt like a very small cog in a machine that like, I didn't even really understand the vision and, and scope of. And being in that world felt somewhat atomizing and alienating and that, all right, I'm not connected to the rest of these things. I'm punching a clock and doing my thing. But then it was just, and I went over this a little bit before, but finding a little bit of a way to get out was like literally get out of my cubicle and interact with some other parts of the business and just find a couple little hooks to be like, oh, I'm going to build some connections. One of the ways I think about it is that in that research area that I was in, the people who are in there are really smart and really good. I was never going to be <laughs> the smartest or best research attorney in that group, or even in the top echelons. And the people who did it stayed there a long time because it was a good department. So this idea that like, all right, if I keep on doing this, even if I get really good at it, the rungs on the ladder are not taking me to a very different place than I am now, at least not for a very long time. And so at some point it was like, okay, I can keep on trying to climb this ladder that I've started on and how I got my foot in the door at this big corporate entity. Or I can like, look, there's 40 other ladders here that like I can maybe get into. And so I had no digital marketing or communications background, but I was like, all right, now I'm going to try that. And then the fact that you had been on this ladder and are now climbing another ladder makes it a little bit easier to climb that second ladder because you already have, you have some cross experience. So I feel like that's when working in the corporate world went from being being a very small cog in a machine that I didn't even understand the scope of to being like, okay, like 
maybe now I'm a little bit more of a spring instead of a cog. I'm like doing this different thing. And instead of trying to climb this ladder, I'm going to maybe go from ladder to ladder. And my movement isn't going to be up one ladder. It's going to be across five or six different ladders. And that became a really enjoyable experience for me where I got to travel and meet a lot of great people and go to different offices and be involved in a lot of different things. And then still always had this way to look back on the core of what I did and connect with those people and have those skills. But it was, it was and not because of the company, but I think just working in a big corporate environment can feel pretty dehumanizing mm -hmm. until you start to move around for me anyway, until I started to move around, meet people, make it my own and realize that there was a lot of opportunity there. If you're willing to get out of your, out of your cubicle a little more often. Okay. So something that I want to try, this is new on the podcast and full disclosure, I am stealing it completely from Stephen Bartlett, very prominent businessman slash podcaster slash social media expert himself. And what I want to do is what's one question you want to leave behind for our next guest? So you don't know who it's going to be. Heck, I don't know who it's going to be, but what's a question that you would like to leave behind? Let's see. When you work, when you think about your sort of life goals and professional and personal balance between those things. So this would be an example when you have your nine-year-old jumping <laughs> up in your bedroom window to try to get famous on the Connection Request podcast is how do you balance those things? And obviously for me, I've blurred the lines, right? I, I have my own business, which allows me to always be available, but also always be on call or always be available, but also always be doing whatever I want. I have that kind of flexibility. So for me, it turned into, okay, like I don't need to have that really strict separation for me to balance my work mm. and my life. Somehow I'm able to, it works better for me most of the time to have those things a little bit intertwined. Yeah. Have the flexibility to run out for an hour in the middle of the day and play tennis with a good friend. And I'm wondering for other people, how does that work for you? Is it, is it something that you need to like, I know people who, when working from home started to be a thing, even before the pandemic, they would walk around the block, they get all dressed for work, you know, put on their ties, yeah. whatever and do a walk around the block and come back inside and now I'm at work. And Did then, you ever do that? No. Me either. But I thought it was a great idea. Me too. And for those people who need to create some, create some separation. So I'd be curious, as everything changed, most people are working from home and I think the lines have blurred. I'd be curious to know what has worked for other people in making that work for them, whether it's creating more separation, creating a totally separate space, or being always on and allowing yourself some more flexibility. Yeah convoluted question, but I think that's where I was getting at. That's a great question. And it's one I think about a lot. So thank you. Okay. On to the rapid fire. If you are ready. Yeah. Okay. The first question is again, from an audience member, that being Natalie Lehman, she wants to know what's your next tattoo going to be? What's my next tattoo going to be? I never had gotten a tattoo in my life up until just a few weeks ago. And now I have two. One I've been planning for kind of a long time, this one, and this is going to actually be my next tattoo is to take this arrow axe shape and start with some trees to go up into a sleeve. My, my other tattoo, which was completely impromptu, I was out visiting my son Oliver in Oregon and he wanted to get a tattoo and I was like, all right, let's do it. I'll get one too. And got matching tattoos of basically the lumberjack logo, the crossed axes. So I have that on my cap. So yeah, all these years, never a tattoo 
two tattoos in a week. And now this one, I think I have some ideas for it to grow. I'm excited to see the future tattoos. They're already looking great. And for people who are listening right now to this, this is a great incentive for you to check out YouTube where you can see the great tattoo that Casey was just showing off. Ah, yes. What's the worst piece of career advice you've ever received? Yeah, I don't know that it was wrong, but when I was thinking about going to law school, I talked to one of the senior partners in the firm that I was working at the time and basically said, yeah, don't worry about it. Just go to law school. You always make a bunch of money. <laughs> <laughs> which A, I'm not sure is accurate because some things changed in the, in the late 2000 aughts, which I think made it more complicated for lawyers to make money. And now as we're talking about AI and other things, I think that, that that might continue to be a challenge. The other thing is that even if that was true, I'm not sure that should have been the deciding factor. And it probably was partially for me. Obviously, that's why lots of people go to law school or seek any kind of professional education. But the idea that like, just do it because you'll make a lot of money. And I was like, okay, <laughs> fair enough. And I, I think had I been a little bit mature at the time, I'd been like, okay, I can appreciate that. But is that really how I want to guide my life? And I'm, it's easy to say once you've already done it. But Yeah. Um, yeah, that's not bad advice, but advice that maybe missed the mark in a way that was fundamental before the question was asked. Yeah. Who's better at short form content like YouTube shorts and TikToks? Is it you or Charlie? Charlie. Very strongly, Charlie. So Charlie's YouTube short game is very strong. And the thing that's interesting to me about it is, A, just watching me do it all the time. But B that I'm often in them and have no idea what it is that I'm doing at the time. He'll just say, okay, now fall down on the floor. Now wave your arms around. And then he has it all edited together and makes me look ridiculous in a way that is amusing for everyone. So yeah, Charlie is certainly head and shoulders above me on that one. Highly recommend our audience check out, is it Chip Danger something yeah. or other? Chip is... Danger one, I can send you the link. Okay, we'll put that in the show notes for sure. And I haven't seen any recent ones lately, so I want to... No, but I'll let them know that, that it's being promoted on one of the top podcasts. And, Please uh, do. I'm sure we'll get, some, we'll get some fresh content here. I if, think... you ever wanna, if you ever want to stop by to guest star, I think that maybe a chip danger connection request. I think that could be good. I do have pretty high rates for guest appearances, but we'll talk. So does Charlie. So maybe I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, okay, I think... I think this is my last rapid fire. Something, especially those of us who worked in corporate for a long time and or currently have corporate clients is you just have like access to a host of just like wild stories and some juicy corporate tea. And I'm not asking you to name names or get anyone in trouble, but I'm curious if you just have any, any of those kinds of stories from your vast career that were like, wow, I can't believe this thing happened, or I was privy to this conversation or meeting. Do you have anything like that? Yeah, certainly. Some kind of amazing, some kind of like scary and sad. I think that at different times, and I won't say exactly why, but at different times in doing social media oversight, there'd be instances <laughs> when someone would send you an email and be like, hey, did you see what this team did for their like annual like get together? <laughs> like, no, I didn't. And then you would see what was the craziest rendition of a popular musical that you ever thought about. And in a way that seemed very inappropriate and realizing, okay, they're trying to talk out against this thing. 
but it's actually very yeah crazy stuff crazy stuff what? i think you might remember the one that i'm talking about i think i do nope. too it was very creative and I've what was the musical chicago <laughs> i'm like remembering it any way that, that that's still on the internet somewhere that we could go find not if we did our job well <laughs> man that's a that is a good place to leave the rapid fire round yeah if anybody ever has that question for me in person i have great stories <laughs> for you casey before i let you go where can we follow your journey your company's journey and anything else you want to share with our listeners Lumberjack.social is company website, which I created that afternoon and exists in most exactly the same form that I created that day. You can learn more about me there. Casey Hall on LinkedIn is probably the easiest go-to and the thing that I check the most often. Also on Instagram, personally, Lumberjack Social is on Instagram, pretty much all the places. If you can't find me, probably not doing my job very well. Well, Casey, as I said earlier, you're a wonderful friend. You've been a wonderful mentor to me. I hope we were able to capture some of your amazing wisdom and I hope we'll play tennis again together soon. Thank you yeah, for coming very, on. Very honored to be here and super excited about everything that's going on with you, Okay. I want to let you in on a little secret. Some of the most successful people that you know all share one thing in common. They've all battled imposter syndrome. By the way, welcome to The Coda, where I share a little bit more about what's on my mind. And according to Psychology Today, around 70% of adults may experience imposterism at some point in their life, and around 25 to 30% of high achievers experience it. There's some great technical definitions out there, but here's mine. It's questioning if you belong somewhere, if you're deserving of what you have, if you should be in the room you're in or sitting at the table that you are. It's something that many of my guests have talked about either on or off the mic and something that most of my friends have dealt with. Me too, by the way. There are a lot of helpful strategies for dealing with imposter syndrome, but here are a few I find to be really helpful. Number one, keep a little folder or note of the praise and words of encouragement you receive from emails, texts, your performance review, wherever. It doesn't matter how small they are, just document them and refer back to them when you need a little pick-me-up. Number two, come up with a little mantra or words of affirmation when you're feeling some of the telltale signs of imposter syndrome. Maybe it's as simple as I got this or I do indeed deserve to be here. Whatever it is that just helps you rewire your brain anytime you're feeling those things. Number three, surround yourself with people who can help you through it and offer a different perspective when you're dealing with those feelings. Trusted friends or allies who can serve as a counterbalance. Bring in people and watch its power diminish. Number four, reflect on how far you've come in your life and career. Think about everything you've achieved and the obstacles you've already overcome. These are just a few ideas I've tried and have helped me, but I wanna know what has worked for you. Let me know in the comments. That is it for today's episode of Connection Request. What'd you think? Let me know, I love hearing your feedback. Today's show is produced by Shrug Content, which you can learn more about at shrugcontent.com. Just want to give a quick shout out to Carla Mangato, the number one fan of Connection Request. Carla, you are the best. Please send all ideas for the next chip danger short to connect at shrugcontent.com. You can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram, and the show on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Until next time, be well, and thanks for listening.